This is Parsha Panorama, and this week's Parshios are Matos and Mase, here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg. Indeed, Matos and Mase are the two final Parshios of Sefer Bamidbar, which means that we get to now assess them, not just as they stand before us as two individual Parshios, but of course, as they stand on the larger map of Sefer Bamidbar, we get to reevaluate what Sefer Bamidbar was and is about, and I guess world will forever be about, and of course, what the entire Sefer Bamidbar represents on the larger map, the panoramic view of the Torah. Now, doing that, we will have to discuss the components of the Parsha, and we're also going to have to um, take a step back, as we typically do, and look and see what these Parshas represent in this larger panorama. So, before we do that, let's talk about the Parshios as individual Parshios. We have Matos on the one hand, Masse on the other, which, surprisingly enough, are not short Parshios. They are both quite packed, a lot to discuss for each one. We're going to touch on every topic, but again, with our minds and our our eyes on the larger prize, what is the um, what is the Parsha about, or in this case, what are these two Parshios about? So, with Parshas Matos and Parshas Masse, I would say if we can give a global description of each Parsha and a summary of sorts, I would say that Matos is really about preparing the leaders, the next um, roster of leaders, for the entry into Eretz Yisrael. That's what Matos is about, the final, the final touches all the final preparations, and Parshas Masse is actually going to be about the... It's going to be a review of sorts. It's going to be an outline, but of two particular things. An outline of the Midbar, the entire um, travel journey, looking back at the map of where we came from and where we are now, and then we're going to have an outlining of Eretz Yisrael, the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael are going to be discussed. And this is going to be the basis for many of the topics that come up in Maaseh, some of which seem a little bit random, but if you have this as your anchor, you realize that that's what Parshas Maaseh is about. Not just the journeying, but that which, um, which is implied by Maaseh, right? Eilem Maaseh B'nai Yisrael, these are the travels of the B'nai Yisrael, but we're going to also be looking at where they're going to be headed. And in so doing, we have to get an entire outlining of the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael. So that's Parshas Masse. Now Parshas Matos, which we have to um, just rewind back because we have to do Parshas Matos. So as I mentioned very loosely, it's about preparing the leaders for entry into Eretz Yisrael. This can be seen from the first couple of components of the Parsha, and now that we're highlighting them. So between Matos and Masse, we're going to mention six topics. Um, we'll have three for each Parsha. Parsha's Masse, I'll say that in section five, or the fifth topic in Masse, um, is going to have a lot of subcategories, as we will see. So what are, what are, each, what, what are each of the Parsha's about? Parsha's Matos, the three topics I have are the Rashi Matos, the, literally the heads of the tribes being taught Hilchos, Nadarim, and Shavuos. Right? They're going to be learning the laws of Nadarim and Shavuos. This is the first thing we find in our Parsha. The Moshe Rabbeinu, apparently, it's, it's not a typical Vaidabra Hashem El Moshe Lemur Parsha, but this is a Parsha where it begins with Moshe talking. 
Right, the Chumash begins Parshas Matos as follows. Vaydaber Moshe el Rashi Hamatos levnei Yisrael lemor zehadavar asher tziva Hashem, and then the Chumash proceeds ish kiedar nedar. Anytime a person wants to make a nedar, so this is a question that we'll have to address inevitably at some point. Um, we can understand maybe why Moshe, why why the Chumash switches gears in a certain sense and starts. Um, um, we have Moshe Rabbeinu talking to the Rashi Matos. We could appreciate and understand that, especially coming off of Parshas Pinchas, where Moshe Rabbeinu was just told that he's not going to enter Eretz Yisrael for at least the second time, and he was already made to designate a new leader. And the truth is, it was by his own instruction to Hashem, which we spoke about last week for a little bit, that Moshe Rabbeinu actually turned to Hashem and said, okay, if I'm not going in, so someone else is going to have to leave them. So now that we are looking at the next generation, so Moshe Rabbeinu is now speaking to that next generation, the next um, generation of leaders, or the next leaders of the generation, either way. But what we have to understand is why Nadarim is the very next subject of discussion. Um, there could be a lot of Hashkafic answers, and maybe we'll even get to them. But I'll peep shot. We also have to give an explanation, and it could be there are Hashkafic answers to explain pshat. That's that's very well. But we do have to address that question of why nedarim, the laws of vows and pledges and oaths. That's the very first thing that we have in Parshas Matos. Um, if you can recommend a better subject to start with, I would say maybe the next topic on the list, namely the war with Midian, right? If you were if, if you were following the Parshios, Balak, Pinchas, you should be frustrated if you, you know, or you would be if you didn't know what's coming in Parshas Matos. If you're paying any attention, you know that there's unfinished business. There's supposed to be a war with Midian. It has not yet happened. In Parshas Pinchas, Hashem says, okay, it's Sororus and Midian, and make sure you go back to war with Midian. Don't forget about them. And we have the entire command for that. That war does not take place until this Parsha, right after Moshe Rabbeinu has finished talking to the Rashi Matos, the leaders, about oaths and pledges, um, and a separate question you might ask is, this topic is relevant to all of the Bnei Israel, so why is Moshe Rabbeinu talking to them first? So we'll have to address that, but none of that really seems to be nearly as important as the next subject, which is the war that they still have to fight. So, you know, that's a, it's a pretty big deal, and it's been pushed off all this time. You know, we spent plenty of time talking about the Karbanos in Parshas Pinchas, right? Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, you're not going to go into Eretz Yisrael. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, okay, fine, let's get a new leader. They pick Yehoshua. They, uh, they meaning but um, Hashem really picks Yehoshua. And um, Yehoshua and Yeho- Moshe Rabbeinu leans his hands on, on Yehoshua. Fine. Then they talk about the Karbanos. We spoke about why that happened last week. Now that the Karbanos are over, so now we're talking about um, the Nadarim. Okay, fine. So then sections, uh, section two, we have the war with Midian. We have the, um, one of the things that happens at the war Moshe Rabbeinu gets um, very upset about is that the women and children were spared against um, the original command. Apparently, they had to wipe out the entire people. And particularly, the concern about the women, right, I guess the concern about the, ch- the children is um, um, a, a much larger, more complicated discussion that we're not going to have right now. But with the women... This, we mentioned in, um, in Muslim minutes, that the women were 
specifically supposed to be targeted because they were the they were the perpetrators. Um, the reason for this war in the entire first place is that they were um, they seduced the men so that they can you know helping the Mo, the, the Moavi women. And last week we spoke about why Moab is not going to be targeted in this war, but they were the ones that seduced the men and made them um, worship Baal Peor. So. Um, so Moshe Rabin rebukes them, and they have to go back to war and fix everything. Um, among the laws, we also learn about the clay midyon, or the vessels of midyon, which is the basis for many of the Hilchas Kashras. Um, so we have that, and all the commands regarding the division of the spoils. Some of the spoils are get devoted to Hashem, some of them get to be kept by the people. But anyway, all of that goes under the war with midyon. So we have that. Fine. Section 3... The final section of Parshas Matos, we have the request of Reuven and Gud. Reuven and Gud, they want to stay in the lands of Sichon and Og. They don't want to go across the Yardin. And they, and this is particularly because of their livestock. And they, um, they, they want to, you know, for, for the fi- for financial aspects to protect their family, obviously. Um, you know, fi- finances are important. So they, they, they want to stay on the other side. They have this conversation with Moshe Rabbeinu and all the Rashi Matos, the leaders of the Bnei Israel, and they make this request that they get to stay on the other side. And Moshe Rabbeinu gets really upset with them too. The Chumash does not say that he got angry, maybe a discussion for another time, but Moshe Rabbeinu does get upset for two reasons. One, um, because he's gonna, um, they're, they're just going to let their brothers go to war um, in Eretz Yisrael to conquer the land without helping them. And number two, doesn't, isn't this going to repeat the sin of the Meraglim, discouraging the people from going into Eretz Yisrael? So you're not going to even join them. And two, you're not, no, you're not going to, you're, you're going to discourage them. So the, the, the God and Ruvain, they commit to, to being with the Bnei Yisrael for the war effort. They're going to be on the front lines. They're going to help them. And this can basically mostly solve both problems, right? People, though, as long as they know that they're going to be supported um, in this war, so technically um, this won't discourage people from entering Eretz Israel. Maybe not, though. You know, you can you could argue both ways. The fact that they don't want to go into the land and live there and settle there is a problem, and maybe that would discourage people. Um, and there's something to be said. What is most shocking is that Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately concedes. Moshe Rabbeinu says, "Fine, you know, if if, if you're committing to this, then 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 we'll let." Um, and this is, and that's ultimately what happens. Uh, so we have this request closing out Parshas Matos. Moshe Rabbeinu um, has half of Shevet Menashe join them. Um, maybe also a discussion for a different time. But why that is is an interesting question. But we have half of Shevet Menashe, Ruven and God. They're going to live on the other side of the yard. Fine. Um, then that's that's Parshas Matos. Parshas Mase. We have to. So now now we look at. So um, this will be our section four, if you will, or if you won't, then it'll be section one of Parshas Masai. And if you can't do that, I don't have any offers for you. Um, that's, that's as best as I can do. So we have the journeys through the Midbar, starting from Mitzrayim, and all, it takes us all the way till where we are now. To, um, um, we're here, and now we are, we're at Arvos Moav, the plains of Moav. Um, which makes sense considering the storyline. We, we understand how we got here. But we, we get all the 42 different stations that the Bnei Yisrael went through. Fine. Then we look away from the Midbar. We look now at Eretz Yisrael. Section 5 is Eretz Yisrael. And it's a long section only because I bunched a, bun- uh, a bunch of categories together. So 
in section 5 of the land of Israel, I have A through E. So A, in this sub, uh, so the first subsection, is the command for the conquest. Hashem says, okay, you're going to conquer Israel. Make sure you destroy all of the Avodah Zarah, etc., etc., etc. Fine. B, we get the boundaries of Israel. This is where the entire land itself is delineated. Um, it talks specifically about the north, the east, the, east, the west, the, the south. We get um, all of the different... Um, um, the... the... Uh, the the coordinates, the, um, you know, we we get we get we get the entire land from each corner. We 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 hear the, about the entire boundary. Okay, so that's that's um, that's B, C. We have the final roster of the Nesim who will divide the land. So the Chumash gives us a name for each tribe. Then section D, we have the cities of the Levian, the lands that are not divided among the people exactly. But the land, the, the cities that that will be designated specifically for the Levium. and then in E we have the Are Miklat. Then the Chumash segues into Hilchas Ritzicha, right? Because the Are Miklat are the cities of refuge. This is where somebody runs if he um, unintentionally kills someone, and it's a very strange set of laws. But basically, the avenger of blood, the relative of the deceased, is allowed to. I should say the the, the relative of the killed, the murdered party, um, is allowed to. Um, as well to avenge the blood of his relative, and um, uh, and the, the only place he can hit the killer is inside the city of refuge. A very chaotic sounding set of laws, which is also not a discussion for now. But what is a discussion for now is why it's here, and it's here because the Chumash is delineating the different parts of the land. So among them we have the Arya Mikla. So as the Chumash is outlining Eretz Yisrael. Now we have this set of laws here as well. And that, 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 that finishes up section 5, which is all about the land of Israel, outlining the land, who's going to divide the land, what should you do when you get there. So then section 6, we have another request, interestingly. Parshas Matos ended with a request, and now Parshas Masai ends with a request. This is the request of the Bnei Menashe, um, from the children of Machir. And their, their request is really a almost counter-request to both um, the Ruven God and to a request that we had in last week's Parsha, Parsha's Pinchas, and that is the request of the Benos Tzalafchad. So this is a counter-request, particularly um, to Ruven and God, because they're not requesting land outside of Israel. They are specifically fending for their, their grasp on land in Eretz Yisrael. And what's their concern, and how is it counter to the Benos Tzalafchad? Well, the Benos Tzalafchad, who are apparently claiming land on behalf of their father, Tzalafchad, that land is technically a part of Shevet Menashe, at least until the Benos Tzalafchad get married, and whoever they get married to, that will determine which Shevet the land will ultimately belong to, because if they marry into, let's say, Shevet Ruvain, or they marry into Shevet Yisachar, you know, a nice learning boy from Shevet Yisachar, so what happens is the land that they own um, becomes um, annexed to the shevet, I guess that they are uh, that, that 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 they are marrying into, and what that means is that the bnei machir, or at least um, the bnei menashe, they will end up losing out. They they will not get because that, that's a chelak that that originally belonged to tzalafchad. This this portion might not have even existed if not for the benos tzalafchad. Nonetheless. That's what they were fending for. They were, were fending for Tzalafchad. And 
what ultimately would happen is if they would marry out, then, so then, then Menashe would technically lose out. And so they make a very nice, polite request to Moshe Rabbeinu. And this is, in fact, the final story of, of, of Sefer Bamidbar. Now, what I, um, you know, an exercise you can do is, you know, go, go up to your friend and say, oh, Hema, how does uh, Sefer Bamidbar end? Like, what's the last story in Sefer Bamidbar? Most people couldn't tell you. And it could be before um, you started listening to this share, very possible that you also couldn't tell me or anyone what the last story in Sefer Bamidbar is. And that is because it's a pretty forgettable one. Oh, the, the, the Bnei Machir, the Bnei Menashe, they make a request. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, sure, okay, let's, let's tend to that. And they, um, they, they make a temporary um, um, command that um, the, these women from, uh, from Tzalafchad, the, the, the daughters of Tzalafchad, they have to marry within the tribe. They have to marry within Shevet Menashe, whomever, whoever they want to, but it has to be within the tribe. And this way, Menashe doesn't lose any land. Great, everyone goes, I'm happy. But, like, this, this pretty forgettable story um, is not as known. And what we have to wonder is why that is. Like, why we have this very quiet story at the end of the Parsha, you know, um, you know, minding its own business, yes, not really bothering anyone, but it's not nearly as, as um, notable and noteworthy as Yosef being placed in an Aron in Mitzrayim at the very end of Sefer Bereshis, and when the, that, the you know the the Shvatim dying, or the completion of the Mishkan at the end of Sefer Shemos, or the the, the powerful Toch at the end of Vayikra, right? So you know the the like the, these different topics, or even the Sabracha, you know, right? Um, Sefer Devarim, which we're going to start next week, Bezras Hashem. But that, that, that ending, you know, you, like, you can't really match that, the death of Moshe Rabbeinu. But here, the final story in Sefer Bamidbar, once again, what is it? Oh yeah, Bnei Menashe, they make some requests that somehow pertains to the Benos Tzalafchad and something about land and Eretz and, yeah, and that's about it. So why is that significant? So yeah, this is a question that we'll have to come back to. But let's first um, return to the opening of the Parshios, Looking at all of our topics again, we have the six topics that I've outlined: um, the Rashi Matas being Tvat Hilchos Nedarim, the war with Midian, which goes into the Moshe Rabbeinu's rebuke of the people, um, Elazar Cohen teaching the the halachos of Kashrus and Clay Midian, division of the spoils. Then we have um, the request of Reuven and God. Then Parshas Mase, we have the journey through the Midbar, the entire map outlined. Then we have the entire Eretz Yisrael outlined with the command for the, the conquest, the, um, the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael, the Nisim, who are going to divide the land, the cities of the Levian, the Yari Miklet, fine. And then finally, we have the request of B'nai Menashe. That's the, the, these are our two Parshios. So, once again, why does Parshas Matos begin with the laws of Nidar? So, Yes, we'll get to the Hashkafic answer soon. Before we get to the perhaps um, popular Hashkafic answer, there is a Ramban and there is a Rashbam who both recommend that we look back to understand why we're talking about this now. And that is, if you look at the very end of Parshas Pinchas, which um, was discussing the Karbonos, so you might be familiar with the paragraph from the Maftir, 
which um, is talking about Shemini Atzeres and the Karbonos that you offer on Shemini Atzeres. After talks about those Karbonos, the Chumash describes these Karbonos as follows. This is what you should perform. This is what you should make for Hashem on your, on your Moadim. This is aside from your Nidrechem, your Nidarim, your vows. So your, um, so your, the offerings that you vow to bring or that you pledge to bring, your free will offerings, all different kinds of karbanas. And Hashem and Moshe Benu um, told the Ben Israel everything that, that Hashem had commanded. Then all of a sudden we go to Parshas Matos, and now we're talking about Nadarim. So they say, look, Moshe Benu just made a reference to Nadarim right there. The basic um, nether that he was referring to there is the Nadarim of Karbanos, because in fact there are many halachos with Karbanos that are governed by the laws of Nadarim. The person pledges to bring a Karban. So there are different kinds of, of pledges to bring a Karban. And there are different kinds of pledges in general. And with that, at least we have some, somewhat of a connector between the last week's parsha and this week's parsha, now we're talking about um, the nadarim. Right before we said levad nidrechem. Besides, for the things that you pledge to bring, these are what you have to bring on all the amim tovim. And now, all of a sudden, here, let's talk about those things that you might pledge to bring. So here, are all the halachas you have to know, and it, you know the halachas manifest themselves differently. If a woman makes a vow, if she's married, if she's not married, her father's home, her husband's home, and uh, people in general. So that's why these halachos are here, according to the Rashbam, according to the Ramban. The Ibn Ezra says, don't look, uh, look back. He doesn't, he doesn't tell you not to look back, but he does tell you to look ahead. And he points at Ruvain and Gad. A lot of the Hilchos Nadarim, so this is kind of like a foreshadowing a little bit. We, can, we have to make a list every time we notice this, where the Parsha begins and ends on a similar topic or with some kind of code reference to a previous parsha. So we have that we have for sure had this in Parsha's Korach, where the beginning and the end are certainly connected. We had this in Shlach. You know, we and we, we try to notice it whenever we can. Um, but here's one of those places where the beginning talks about Nadarim and also not just Nadarim, but the or the focus on the Rashi Matos, the next generation of leaders, or the next leaders of the generation. Right, we already made that joke earlier. It wasn't even a joke; it was serious. But anyway, that that next um, that next um, um, uh, the the roster of leaders. So it, we hear about them at the beginning and at the end, and we hear about Nadarim at the beginning and at the end, both. So this is already um, strengthening and bolstering the connection apparently between Nadarim and the Rashi Matos, which we're going to have to get to. And Bezer Hashem, we will. Um, but. The point is that the Nidarim come up because we learn a lot of Hilchos Nidarim, Hilchos Shavuah. We learn from Ruven and Gad the particular nature and how they pledged that they were going to do what Moshe Rabbeinu said. So they, we, we, we learn a lot of Halachos from there. And so um, the Ibn Ezra says that this Parsha, um, you know, at large, um, which is a parsha that addresses the, the Rashi Matos, obviously, is also focusing in on this topic of Nadarim, which apparently is somehow connected as well. How so, we'll get to soon. Um, one more um, approach is the Nitziv, who says the reason why we're talking about this now is that we're looking up ahead to the war with Midian. Nadarim, we find in more than one place in the Chumash. So, for example, you look in Parsha Chukas, this came up. You look at the, in the, the Kleokar, there's a Kleokar in Parsha Chukas that explain this. 
um, when they when they were warring with Melech Harad. Um, so you find it there. You also find it um, in Parashas Vayishlach, um, where um, Kleoker makes mention of this there, or Vayetze Vayishlach, where Yaakov Avinu, at the, at the time of Ace Tzara, when he's not sure if he's going to have to go to war, so at the beginning of Vayetze, the beginning of Vayishlach, so it's a time that you start making pledges. During an Ace Tzara, the Kleoker also brings this down, that a time of Ace Tzara is a time where you start making pledges to Hashem. Um, it's, a, it's a good time to do that. This also came up actually at the end of Parshas Bichukosai, I believe. So you can look in all these different places to, um, and you can go back to previous Parsha panoramas where I think we addressed this as well. So as they're about to go to war with Midian, so that means it's an ace tzara. It's a time to start reevaluating, reassessing, and making pledges to Hashem. Okay, fine. So that's the Nitziv. Now, in terms of the laws being specifically conveyed to the Rashi Matos, we understand. Well, we mentioned earlier that we're now addressing the Rashi Matas, particularly because um, they are the next generation. All right, so um, so now they're being spoken to. But the reason why this is the first, so you might say this has to do with the uh, the idea that in order to be a leader, your word has to be sacred. This is something that's clearly lost in today's politics. Um, you know, you're a better politician the more you can double talk, um, the more convincing you are. There are some politicians today that are really good at this. There are some that are really awful, and you could see right through them. Um, and what's what's really freaky and scary is that your favorite politician probably double talks all the time, right? And when I say your favorite politician, you know, I'm not talking about the you know the the um, you know the one that you like the best because you like their policies or you like who they are as a person. Each one of them has to master the art and skill of double talk because they, uh, and it's specifically because they don't want to be caught tripping over their words. And you could say that this is important for being a leader too, not you know so that you can't get called out for lying or saying saying something that's not accurate. But in terms of keeping your promises, that's cer- certainly something that seems to be lost. And I, I honestly, I don't care which side of the political spectrum you are on. Um, I'm specifically saying something that I think is neutral and equally applic- applicable. Um, and you know, that, that might mean that half of my audience now is going to be upset with me, but I, th- I think it's really uh, it's applicable across the boards, and it's something that we don't, um, you know, it's, it's something that we don't um, make sacred enough, and it is the spoken word. And this is the first thing that Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the next um, generation of leaders, the next leaders of the generation, because they have to, this is something they have to know. The very first thing he's going to tell them is that your word is sacred. So that's something that's important. And Rashi quotes Midrashim to talk about how the need for the expertise um, in terms for Hilchos um, Hafaras Nadarim or Hataras Nadarim to, um, to permit someone to get them out of a vow that they might have made. So this happens, Al Yaday, the leaders, right? The Beisden. So that's why they need to hear about it. And the Ibn Ezra once again points to Reuven and God to understand why this topic is here. Now, we need to now return to the end of the Parsheos, the end of the Sefer. We have two requests, one closing out Matos, one closing out Masai, all about land. Reuven and God, they want land on the outside. B'nai Menashe are trying to make sure that they can maintain some land on the inside. Happens to be that half of Menashe um, end up being assigned to join Reuven and God. But what's fascinating is how unfascinating this story is and how that, that it ends 
um, Sefer Bamidbar, right? Like, like the, 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 the most noteworthy thing is about how not noteworthy the sending is, how not, remember, how not memorable it is. So why, in fact, is this the ending of the Parsha? And I don't know if the Parsha, I don't know if the, if the Sefer um, has a responsibility to end off with a bang, but maybe there is something to be said on the fact that it doesn't. And this brings us back to our even larger question of what Sefer Bamidbar is really about. And this is a question that we did address at the beginning of Parsha Panorama for Sefer Bamidbar, but it's something that we must return to at this moment. And it is something that has, you know, it's going to make us, um, I guess, um, have a better understanding of what the goal was all the way through and why we had to have an entire Sefer Bamidbar. And that is because Sefer Bamidbar at large, we, we, we mentioned at the very beginning of Bamidbar, the Bamidbar starts off in one direction and then goes in a completely different direction, very strangely. It starts off, we know it started off not quite in chronological order. Okay, fine, there are reasons for that. Clearly the Chumash had a direction, it had an agenda. And apparently part of that agenda was to count the B'nai Israel. We had a census. Right, last week in Parshas Pinchas, we had a census. That was going to be the final one. But apparently there was more than one census. Um, census is. Sensei? Sensei? No, definitely not. Um, but we had these two censuses. And the first one was in Bamidbar. The, the last one is in Parshas Pinchas. And what's noteworthy is that a lot happens in between those two censuses. And it makes you also wonder why there had to be two. Right, um, there, there was actually more than two, but at least two of note in Sefer Bamidbar. And the reason why this is important is because, hey, maybe there should have only been one. But why did there have to be a second one? Because there were a lot of casualties along the way. Ooh, yikes, ouch. Well, yes, because one of the hallmarks of Sefer Bamidbar is not just the numbers, the counting, looking at all the people, who's here, who's not here, which is um, very important, but... Parshas Bamidbar took this really um, awkward and uncomfortable turn in Parshas Bahaloscha. And in Bahaloscha, we had people complaining, people stepping out of line. We had a bunch of very unpleasant stories about people um, trying to attack the authority, the establishment, the uh, protesting and complaining about everything. And from, from the people who desired meat, right, the Mis'avim, the, the, the Miraglim, the Korach and his rebellion, so many different things before we hit Parshas Balak. Right, and Parshas Balak, Balak had its own problems at the very end. So, what, what's the point? The point that we had mentioned earlier is that Parshas Bamidbar started off with order. They were all neatly arranged around the Mishkan in their encampment and their formations, started from order and quickly just twisted into disorder. Right? They, they, you know, it went from, from a, a nice, beautiful arrangement to disarray. They were neat and they, they became a mess. And it all happened because individuals from tribes were stepping out of line. Right, the, 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 the opening of Bamidbar was about everyone standing right where they needed to be within their boundaries, and then the Parsha ends with people not being in line, not being inside their boundaries. And every time someone had a problem, they knew how to deal with it in precisely the wrong way. You know, complain against Moshe, complain against uh, our own, whoever, you know, must be, we've we got to overthrow the authority, get rid of the establishment. 
This, this, this was Sefer Bamidbar. And it shouldn't have been. There should have only been one census. There should not have had to be, you know, there had to have been a new census to count all the, you know, who's, who's still alive, um, you know, after all the casualties have been weeded out. That shouldn't have had to have happened. But that's, that, that's what Sefer Bamidbar was about. Sefer Bamidbar was, yes, we have a nation, and we worked very hard to become the nation we were. And, we, and as a nation, we play a very important role. Right? We know this from the beginning of Parsha Panorama, right? That Hashem created the entire world with the intention of, of bestowing the ultimate good on mankind. Of course, mankind um, you know, had a very hard time achieving the ultimate good and earning it, which was you know, part of the design of creation. They had to earn it. So Hashem had to isolate one man who became one family, who became one entire nation, and of course, that nation also tripped up now and then, so they had to be, they, 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 they had to be refined. They were refined in Mitzrayim, and they were refined in the Midbar as well. And they, um, finally, we accepted the Torah, we messed up a little bit, okay, we got the Torah again, wonderful, we built the Mishkan, excellent. Okay, someone stepped into the Mishkan in the wrong way, another one of you, okay, fine, let's, let's fix that again, everything is fixed again. Now we get to uh, so Bamidbar. We said um, before that it was uh, sort of like a Vayikra part two. We now have a Mishkan. Now the, it's, a, it's a portable Harsina. We are on our way. And the next few parshios should have been our entry into Eretz Yisrael. But because we stepped out of line, the nation needed to be refined even more. And that's where we are. And now we have to keep on counting, seeing who's here, who's not here, who, who should be a part of this conversation, who should be a part of this story. Now, I will tell you right now that the problem with Sefer Bamidbar was not that problems arose, that people got hungry, that people got overwhelmed, that people got fatigued, that people got scared. None of these things are the problem in Sefer Bamidbar. It's kind of like, you know, when you think about when things go wrong in a marriage. The problem is not that the husband and wife disagreed. Because that's bound to happen. Challenges are bound to arise. That is just a hallmark of life itself. So we can't blame anything on that. The problem with all of the problems was how they were dealt with, people stepping out of line. If people knew the right way to deal with the problems by calmly and, and being collected and, and going to the leadership in the respectful way that not just the Bnei Menashe, but even Reuven and God did when they were making a request that was not so ideal. Could you imagine Moshe Rabbeinu conceded to a request that we, hey, let's just not go into Eretz Yisrael. Is there any way we can make that happen? And Moshe Rabbeinu concedes. Why? You know, maybe partly because they asked the right way. Could you imagine? We would have said after the Chet Maraglam, absolutely not. But you know what? They did something that the Maraglam did not do. And that is they had a nice, cordial, respectful conversation with the leadership of the time. Like, whoa. And then the Bnei Menashe, the same thing. And their request was, hey, we're about to lose out. And you know what? The way they said it was in a way that was okay. And the way they, the way, and the Benos everyone at the very end of Sefer Ben Midbar has figured out how to talk the right way. They figured out how not only, you know, you know, they figured out how to disagree. They figured out how to have problems. They figured out how to address those problems. It wasn't a mess. It was people staying in line doing what they're supposed to do, asking the right questions, asking the questions in the right way. And th- th- that was how they dealt with it. And a husband and wife that knows how to disagree and know how to address their issues, 
You know, th- th- that's what Shalom Bias is. Shalom Bias is not that we agree on everything. Shalom Bias is we disagree and we figured out how to do it the right way. Figured out how to do it in a respectful way. We figured out how to address the problems without anyone screaming at each other. That's, that's Sefer Bamidbar. That, 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 it could have been easier, but, and, it, and it could have been that easy. We see that at the beginning of Bamidbar, where everyone's standing in line. We see it at the end of Bamidbar, where people are not sure about things, but they, you know, they, they, they're, they're comfortable enough to bring it up to the authority in a way that is comfortable. And the authority is comfortable enough to address the issues and even make concessions for some requests that we would call less than ideal. But that's, that's how this Parsha ends, and it's so telling, it's so revealing, it speaks volumes how quiet it is. And that quietness, you know, is something that we can use a little bit at the end of, of, of a very loud Sefer Bamidbar. A Sefer Bamidbar, which was which is marked by Ein Muktam Mukhar Batara. There was literally no order in, in Bamidbar. But now, at the very end, we found it. We found the order. We understand where we are. And now... It might have taken a few casualties. But, you know, um, Am Yisrael is a, is a very refined nation. Right? We went through the crucible of Mitzrayim and we went through the crucible of the Midbar. But we've made it. We had one more census, that was last week, one more war against Midian, and now we are at the cusp of entering Eretz Yisrael. And now that we've addressed the boundaries, now that we know where we all are standing and why, now Moshe Rabbeinu can start to deliver his final speech. That is going to be taking place next week with Sefer Devarim and Parshas Devarim. But in the meantime, hope you have plenty to think about for this coming Shabbos. And I thank you for joining us here at the database with Parshios Matos and Masai. Chazak, Chazak, Venes Chazek. Everybody have a wonderful Shabbos. Thanks once again for joining us here at the database.